You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the Buckeye Breakdown Podcast, where Buckeyes Now on Sports Illustrated continues to cover the Ohio State Buckeyes as they get ready for the 2021 season. And training camp is so close to being done. We are this close to starting to turn the page now toward week one as the Buckeyes and Minnesota Golden Gophers are only 10 days away from the first kickoff of the season. Alongside Andrew Lind, I'm Brendan Gulick. Because this was the uh, second last training camp media availability today. Andrew, we got a chance to talk with uh, one, uh, I guess we, we still have one more, but one um, one of the final position groups. We got to talk with secondary coach Matt Barnes and uh, many of his uh, defensive backs at safety today. And uh, coming up on Wednesday, we'll hear from Brian Hartline and his wide receivers. That's certainly something you don't want to miss. But I think most of our conversation today will uh, probably revolve around the defensive backs because obviously man this is a, a huge focal point going into the season considering what happened to the Buckeyes in uh in 2020 so why don't we start with Matt Barnes um how about just off the top your biggest takeaway from a guy who's in a new role this year yeah and listening to him talk it seems like it's a challenge that he you know he kind of is welcomed I know that obviously moving a carry away from um coaching a secondary to then being the kind of the whole defensive coordinator you know, overseeing everybody versus that specific unit has kind of allowed Matt to kind of put his own spin on on the secondary and especially the safety. So it, it's it's definitely a good thing, and that he's kind of allowed to you know really mold into that role. I think the biggest takeaway I had was his comment about I have the the littlest ego of any football coach you're going to meet. <laughs> Most guys don't uh, don't necessarily admit that, even if they feel that way. Um, you get the sense that he is grateful for the promotion he received in the offseason. Um, you certainly get the sense that he's got a lot of faith in this group this year. Uh, but we've heard from Kerry Combs, who I guess is technically now his boss as the defensive coordinator, um, even though they work, you know, really in, in tandem. Uh, you get the get the sense that these guys have a really good working relationship. Kerry has raved about Matt's work ethic and attention to detail. Uh, and his ability to to relate to guys and, and really teach some technique, where then Kerry can be a little more big picture, a little more energetic. Um, you know, so far so good, I guess, through camp, right? Those two guys feel like they've got a good thing going. We'll evaluate the progress once the season starts, but at least seems to be off on a good foot. Well, I think the fact that Kerry, you know, was willing to to kind of give up that that those reins kind of speaks to what he thinks of, of Matt as a coach and as a person in his ability to relate to players and teach technique and those kind of things. Because really, if it was one of those things where, you know, he wasn't comfortable with that and he wasn't okay with who was replacing him in that role, it wouldn't have happened. Like it just doesn't make sense otherwise. So to get somebody like Matt Barnes, who is, is a very personable person and, you know, is able to connect with recruits and, and players, like that's only going to benefit them in the long term. 
Buckeyes secondary is certainly going to be under a magnifying glass right out of the gates this year. And it's not because Minnesota has some crazy vaunted passing attack. Uh, it's because that's the group that struggled most in, in 2020. I think Ohio State's doing a good job of, of both not shying away from that, not ignoring the fact that that was, well, frankly, a liability last year, um, while at the same time trying to just put it behind them and and you know learn from the challenges that that last year brought, um, got the vibe from the the group of guys, and we'll get into them in a minute. But um, the the collective thought there really seemed to me like they they feel they've got a pretty versatile group, uh, a pretty athletic group, and guys that have taken some big steps forward in the off season, and and perhaps can you know maybe bring this secondary closer to that that BIA title that Buckeye Nation has uh, grown so fond of over the last few years. Yeah, and, and it's kind of one of those things where last year they were so bad in the secondary that there's really nowhere to go but up, which to, to think of Ohio State being in that situation is just kind of unfathomable, unfathomable to begin with. Um, it actually kind of makes me wish that Rashad Bateman was still at Minnesota because I'd like to see them be tested right away, you know, to show that they are taking those steps. But at the same time, you know, not facing a team in week one, especially before you have to play Oregon, um, it makes you kind of happy that you have an ability to kind of figure out what what best fits in, in different situations. Yeah, I I, uh, I understand that point for sure. And if they go out against a Rashad Bateman type player and really lock him down, that would be quite a statement. Um, I am definitely on the other side of the coin on that. I'm glad that uh, Minnesota doesn't seem on paper to have the kind of passing attack that they've got a good quarterback coming back. They're they're extremely well coached, um, but I. I just don't know if I see Minnesota, you know, launching the ball for 400 yards against the Buckeyes after I think three 400-yard passing performances against the defense last year. I I would much rather see in Week One where it's already difficult enough to prepare for a team because mm-hmm. you don't have any current tape to go off of. Um, I think I think Week One, and we can talk about this too. I mean, I, I think Week One is maybe the hardest week on the schedule to prepare for. Because your body's beat up from camp, you're going to go full go for the first time. I can't imagine you're ever going to be, you know, more uh, sore than after that first game. Um, it's it's kind of a wake up call, reality check for hey, the season's here and it's time to get going. Um, starting with a conference game is challenging for sure. It doesn't happen every year, but the Buckeyes don't have the ability to really overcome a loss. I mean, it's pretty rare that a team you know, loses a game and still makes the college football playoff. It's happened, obviously. It happened to the Buckeyes when they won it all. Um, but it's certainly tough, and you got to be ready to go week one. So not having a team that's going to throw the ball down your throat all day, I think, is uh, something I'm, I'm happy about. Definitely. And that was something that Larry Johnson kind of spoke about last week. You know, he was asked about the Rushman package and being able to put in, you know, for defensive ends along the line and just be able to pin their, in, their ears back and all that. But he basically said, like, Minnesota is not going to allow us to do that because that's just not not their offensive attack. So to sit there and say, like, you know, is this is the secondary going to be tested in week one? No. Oregon is already talking about naming a true freshman the starter at, at quarterback. So it makes you wonder if Oregon's going to air the ball out too. So how long is it before the secondary actually gets tested? And, and you know, kind of to your point, it's like, you know, maybe they can grow into it. You know, they're generally all new. Seven Banks is the only person who's coming back and actually played a ton last year. Cam Brown's coming off injury, so you're really gonna, you know, you're gonna want to work back into that. 
Yeah, Marcus Williamson has a little bit of experience too, and and you would think he's going to play a, a big role this year. Um, let's talk about some of these defensive backs we heard from today. Uh, I don't want to miss anybody. So Court Williams, Josh Proctor, obviously two guys that um, you know folks were really excited to hear from. Uh, Cam Martinez, we heard from Marcus Williamson. Um, two guys that really stood out to me, other than Court Williams, Craig Young, who is an athletic specimen. Uh, we heard from Ronnie Hickman. Uh, I think I mentioned Cam Martinez and uh, Bryson Shaw. They all spoke with the media today uh, after practice. So we don't have to dive into all of them at once. But uh, why don't we start with Craig Young? Because I think he plays a really interesting position now with, with uh, you know, a pretty good chance, I would think, to see the field a lot in that bullet spot. He's huge. He's 6'3". He's 225. Uh, Craig thinks his speed, he was laughing. He had this big cheesy smile on his face today. He said that uh, everybody on the internet's got my, my 40 time wrong or my hundred time wrong. He goes, I'm a, I'm a four, four guy for sure. I can run, you know, significantly faster than people are saying, man, if that's true and, and watching him sit up there and, in, in you know, a really cut tank top, um, there's a chance this guy could be really, really good. He's obviously still young in the program, but um, it's hard not to look at him and get pretty excited. Yeah, and I'll never forget when he was going through the recruiting process, he came to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center for for a one-day camp in June 2018. Uh, it was when Urban Meyer was still the, still the head coach at the time. And he came in, he was a four-star wide receiver is what he was ranked as, at least by 247 and rivals and, and so forth. And Urban Meyer basically was like, you're a big, you know what, like, I don't know where to put you. And they put him through the, through the ringer. Like he literally ran, you know, defensive back drills. He ran, uh, he was working with Bill Davis, who was the linebackers coach at the time, Greg Chiano. The next thing you know, his hands in the dirt working with Larry Johnson. They were just basically like, we don't know where, where to put you, but we want you. And they offered him that day. And that's kind of just kind of become the thing with, with him. It's like, you know, you know, he's a physical talent. But it's just a matter of finding that place for him. What what a uh, what a weird thing, and yet what a blessing um, as a as a coach, as a coordinator, to know that you know you feel like you've got a guy that can be a huge weapon. I mean, think mm-hmm. about if he's that fast, he can play defensive back, no problem. Um, gee, if he's a linebacker, I mean, what running back? Uh, it's certainly in the Big Ten what running back is is going to run away from him, and and most running backs in the country aren't going to be able to run away from him, uh, and perhaps that's a lot of the reason why they're thinking of bringing him up in that in that bullet spot. Um, mm-hmm. But his his versatility, his athleticism, uh, and I asked him specifically today because he's been put in a lot of these different positions. I asked him how he feels he's progressed um, in, in taking concepts that he sees on film and putting them into play out on the practice field. He said it's something he's worked a ton on and Mm -hmm. really feels like, you know, there's been a lot thrown at him. So he tries to just pick, you know, one new thing every day that he saw in film from a previous practice that, that he really wants to try to perfect or at least implement. Um, You just get the sense that the kids kind of been drinking through a fire hose. um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, you, you don't want to keep a leash on a guy like that either. You want to let him just go make plays. And if he's that athletic and can get to the ball, you know, unleash him. Well, that was something that really stood out to me during, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, during that one day camp 
you know, it, it was just his willingness to be able to go around and say, I'll do whatever I need to do to, to get this offer. And I think that's, that, that's kind of translated to now where he's at within the program. You know, at any point in time, they could have said, we're going to make you a linebacker. We're going to make you a defensive end. We're going to make you a, a strong safety, a bullet, whatever. And he was honestly going to do it. It was just a matter of him, you know, finally finding a spot that fit him. He was comfortable with doing it and then just building from there. And I think that that's where he's at now. There's just no way that Craig Young doesn't make a big impact this year. Um, I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know what his floor is, but I have to think that he is going to be a regular on that defense. Um, I don't know exactly where he's going to line up. I think there's still some question mark around how they're going to best utilize him. Um, Mm -hmm. But this kid, for for Buckeye fans that have not gotten to know Craig Young very well yet, he is going to jump off the screen at you right away on game one. I mean, he is – he is the real deal, uh, and it sounds like he's had a great camp so far. So, really yeah. looking forward to seeing him. He well, gave a lot of just go ahead. I'm sorry. I think that's what's interesting about it, though, is the fact that there are so many different players on this defense, and just on the team in general. That like, if if they put any one combination, like any any combination of several different players out there, I don't think that you would really be able to tell the difference, even if they don't match the same, you know, same. Um, you know, frame, the same speed, you know, any any of that stuff, the same formations, those kind of things. I think that just the type of player that they recruit and they're at the point where they're recruiting for depth more than anything. They're not recruiting for somebody to come in and be an immediate starter. If that if that happens, that means that you have, you know, a five-star talent, generational talent, if they come in and are, are starting from day one. This is just a matter of you're, you're basically reloading that next five-star to fill in for this person. So, you know, he really fits that mold. And then you're going to have other players like, like, um, excuse me, Ronnie Hickman, Court Williams, like those kind of players, very different body types, but they're going to still end up producing the same result. It was uh, pretty apparent that Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman uh, have a good relationship. Craig was um, very thoughtful with his answer when he was asked about Ronnie Hickman in particular, the impact he's had on him. Um mm-hmm just made it made it pretty apparent that he feels he has made the strides he has because Ronnie's helped kind of guide him along. Um, and, and I think the Buckeyes are hoping that Hickman can have a good year, um, even if that means that it's in mentoring a guy like Craig Young. Um, you know, certainly hopeful that Hickman can play well. well. I think that's what's really interesting, too, about the the setup of, of these interviews. You know, back in the day, we used to get, like, Every player would come out at the same time. It would be one big media scrum for 50, 60 different players. And then these, you know, these days we get eight, nine players at a time, all the same position unit, and they're always complimentary of other ones. You ask one player about the person who's sitting at the table beside him, and he's literally just gushing over that player. Even if he's somebody who is going to be like competing with him for playing time, somebody who's in front of them. You know, those kind of things, like, they, they, they have nothing but good things to say about the other person. Let's talk Court Williams for a minute because I think Matt Barnes might have had the line of the day when he said that uh, he wouldn't be surprised if Court Williams was the president of the United States someday. Um, Kerry Combs, you know, specifically pointed out Court Williams to us earlier in camp when he said that, you know, this is a guy who is truly first in, last out, lives in the weight room and in the training room and in the film room. Um and I think, you know, today with Court Williams having a chance to get his face on camera and get in front of the media, you got a real sense for how seriously he takes his craft. This is not, mm-hmm. uh, 
to quote professional golfer Kevin Kisner for Court Williams, this ain't no hobby. Uh, he is out there, you know, trying to make this uh, make this his thing. And you know, he he came straight out and said maybe that ACL injury was the best thing that ever happened to me um, because it it heightened his focus. You know, he's done what he needed to do from a rehab perspective to get healthy, and now he feels like he can really contribute this year. And boy, if you know, if if the Buckeyes can get what they hope they can from him. It's another huge piece in this secondary. I think this was something we talked about a couple weeks ago too, with with just the impact that Court could have had last year as well. I mean, obviously he he came in enrolled early. He was the first person in his class right before Jackson Smith and Jigba got his black stripe removed. It was Court. You know, he was he was somebody who they were talking about coming in making an instant impact as a freshman, and then obviously he very first you know, first or second day of, of fall camp had the ACL injury and he got to talk about that today. And it was, it was interesting to hear his perspective on that. You know, a lot of people would say, Oh, you know, I remember everything about my injury. It was so hard. And he was basically, you know, it, it did suck, but I don't remember exactly how it happened. Cause I'm not focused on that anymore. Like I'm only worried about becoming a better player and, and having an impact on the team moving forward. And, and that, I mean, that, that to me speaks volumes. Yeah. Wasn't that weird? I mean, he literally said like that, that, the memory of when he got yeah. injured, he said, I've like blacked it out in my mind. And you know, you could tell he was like trying to think about it and it just, mm-hmm. it was fuzzy to him. Um, all the credit, you know, for him, I, I don't know if he's been working with a, you know, with, with a, a, a mental coach in that regard, but um, I would think that it, it takes someone with an elite level of focus and concentration and dedication to, to put, so far in the back of your mind, something that, you know, could have, you know, I mean, some guys could, you know, get an ACL surgery and don't come back the same way anymore. I mean, it's not obviously an ACL tear is not like an uncommon injury. It happens, but it's not a 100% guarantee that you're going to be the same player you were. Um, But I would think that from the mental perspective, treating this the way court has treated it is going to give him the best chance to still be the best player he can be. I just I found that really really impressive because I don't think a lot of people could quite do that. Yeah, and I mean I think a lot of it speaks to just kind of the program that he's come from too. You know, if you look at these these schools that Ohio State recruits that too, like like St. John Bosco, where where Court and Wyatt Davis came from before him. You know, it's one of the top programs in the country, and you know they're going to have all those kind of resources to help a kid get through something like that. So then you know for him to be around a program like that in high school that has kind of that college feel to it. You'll see it with like IMG Academy, like those kind of things too, where they just kind of, they, they train you so early on to think a certain way that once they get on, on, on campus, you don't see them. They're not your typical freshman. They're not your typical redshirt freshman where it takes them time to mature. They're like, they're already in that, if that makes sense. So, you know, court is just, it's kind of one of those things where he's like a, a product of his environment. You see that come up and then just, you know, like I said, that, that was just really impressive to see him be so focused on what's what the future holds and where he's going and not being impacted that much by the past. Let's shift gears here to Josh Proctor because Josh was um, certainly a big part of the secondary last year and that he saw a lot of playing time. Um, there were also times where, you know, you, you've got the hero shot and the goat shot when a highlight happens, and, and Josh was the goat shot fairly often. He had a, he had a tough year at times. Now he also made some really good plays. Um, but I thought he, he had a lot of learning to do from last year and I'm really interested to see how, 
how he puts that into play here in, in 2021. Um, I think the overarching thought maybe from, from his uh, little media session today is that he's, he's kind of focused on all areas of his game. It's not one, one thing in particular. He's just trying to become a better all-around defender. I think when it comes to Josh, you kind of saw – I mean, I guess Ryan talks about this a lot. He talks about flashes. You know, it's not necessarily like a consistent kind of thing, you know, where you'll show – they'll show like sparks of greatness where you see everything that this player can become, but it's only like from time to time. It's not – they can't put it all together. And then Josh kind of talked about this today. Like he learned so much from Jordan Fuller. He asked – he was asked like who, you know, who he, he wants to emulate and who he would like to be, you know, at that next level and all of that. He talked about just like the, the relationship that he had with Jordan Fuller the things that he told him and like all of a sudden when Jordan left and then was still successful at the NFL level, despite being, you know, a late round NFL pick, it was kind of one of those things that Josh said, it just, it clicked to him. So it'll be interesting to see it like that applied to the field. I don't want to get too deep down a rabbit hole with some of these other guys, but uh, specifically from Bryson Shaw, Cam Martinez, uh, Lathan Ransom, Marcus Williamson, what uh, what stood out from you and uh, or, or to you from their conversations? Yeah, there was a couple things, and I, I mean, I'll do quick little hitters on them. But you know, Marcus Williamson came back for another year. You know, maybe maybe you weren't expecting him to make a significant impact, but I think from a, a leadership standpoint, it was very important for him to come back. Like he just talked about like his development and how how much he's changed over the years. And I think that even if you don't get a, a significant impact from him like on the field that like, you know, the, the, the leadership standpoint is something that's going to be very helpful moving forward. And then Bryson Shaw, you know, he talked about just being in a mentorship role as well. You don't know how much he's going to see the field, but then, you know, he's taking Jansen Dunn under his wing and, and, and helping him immerse himself into the program. You know, that's, that's really something cool to see as well. I think, um, I think one of the other guys whose name came up today and I, Top of my head, I can't remember who said it, but somebody had also brought up uh, Denzel Burke. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Vance Dunn, an incoming freshman, so was Denzel. And um, you get the impression that, you know, along with J.K. Johnson, that maybe those three freshmen uh, have started to separate themselves a little bit, just making a good impression right away in camp. Yeah. Not a ton of, you know, not, not a not a ton of need for them to get on the field right away because there is a group here that that feels like they have a chance to make an impact. But by the same token, man, if, if things don't go well and you start have to, you know, work down the pecking order on, on the depth chart a little bit and figure out who can make plays, maybe it's not long before a guy like Jansen Dunn or Denzel Burke or J.K. Johnson starts seeing some more meaningful snaps. Yeah, and then there's Jordan Hancock too, who's, in, who's right. another top 100 top 100 cornerback. So it's kind of one of those things that they don't need it. But if if they're out there and you know we we, we were out there for the entire practice last week. And you constantly heard, you know, Ja'Kalen Johnson with the tackle, Denzel Burke with a pass breakup, you know, got Quinn Temple on the mic and yelling out what the plays are and stuff. And it was like one of those things like, you know, do you know if they're actually going to make an impact this year? Or is it just, you know, should you be excited for what the future holds once they are, you know, in, in a role like that? Ryan Day was laughing when he was asked about those two guys. He he said that maybe they've got, you know, some sort of blackmail on Quinn because he was kind of beating a dead horse saying their names over and over and over again at practice. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, it makes an impact. I, you know, I realize that's not a new thing in Columbus, but um, I think it's cool. And 
uh, it, it helps guys, you know, feel like there's some affirmation of what's going on. And when you make plays, it stands out and, you know, you got to go out and compete with your teammates every day. Guys on both sides of the football throughout camp have been asked, you know, Hey, you're a defensive guy, but what do you love about the way this offense goes? Court Williams, in fact, was asked that today. And it, he was, he was a little coy about his answer, but he basically said they can run it. They can throw it. They can do it all. <laughs> um, and there's some element of, you know, if you're playing against the opposite side of the field and feeling like you're, you know, you're right with them step for step, that's proven to be a pretty good recipe uh, for getting ready for Big Ten play, for winning the league and, and making a push in the college football playoff. Well, there's there's kind of two points in that, too. You know, there's one in that, you know, when you have all this depth and all these players that are making, you know, an impact in practice and you hear their names called in practice and it just makes you wonder, like, you know, is, is this what it takes for them to finally, you know, maybe get over that hump and, you know, get close close the gap with Alabama, you know. And and if, if you go to an Alabama practice, that's what I fully expect, to hear, you know, five-star freshman after five-star freshman make an impact and then, you know, when the people in front of them leave. That's why they're always, like, why they're winning national titles. Seemingly every recruiting class walks out with a national title. So, you know, it's one of those things, like, if Ohio State is to get to that level and consistently stay at that level and beat Alabama, you know, year after year, that's what they're going to need. And then two, with the fact that, you know, it might actually be more difficult for them in practice than I think it is for 99% of the games they play. You know, like, I, um, Coral Williams is talking about, like, oh, well, we have to defend Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. What, what offense are they going to play this year that even comes close to that? I, um, you know, it, it, the words that you just said that really stand out to me are, are the gap between the Buckeyes and, and Alabama. And, and and maybe we're too close to it because we cover Ohio State. Um, you know, there are some national football fans that think Alabama is just light years in front of the rest of the field. I realized the final score wasn't close last January. I, I'm just not using that as a measuring stick yeah. to compare where the Buckeyes are compared to Alabama. There's no doubt the Crimson Tide, especially in the college football playoff era, I don't think you can really make an argument. They've been the best team in the country. They've, they have consistently been either national champions or right there. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, Clemson's had a great run these last several years. The Buckeyes are in that same conversation. You know, Oklahoma hasn't won a college football playoff game, but obviously they have run train on the Big 12. I, I, I just don't think there is that big of a gap between the Buckeyes and Alabama. You know, I, I think if you use last January's game, that that's just not a fair microcosm um, to, to judge that by. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that from the standpoint of like, I mean, if you ask anybody on Ohio State's team, they're going to tell you they practiced one time. Sure. Like, one time between the Sugar Bowl and the National Championship. And and quite frankly, when you're going to be covering, like like Alabama literally trotted out every major award winner on offense for that game. You know, so to say that they they were ever going to win that game, I, I don't know. Under those circumstances, that's not going to happen. You could play that game 10 times. But I think where I see the gap with, with Alabama is more – and, and I read an article on this recently. I cannot remember who wrote it. I think it was Pete, Pete the Mel, maybe. Um, he was talking about just kind of the 
the sideline aspect of it, you know, Alabama has all these analysts, you know, that Ohio State is starting to to bring on, you know, they made some hires. Paul Rhodes was one of them this offseason, yep. you know. I Top think that fit. there's gaps, gaps. Yeah, I think there's gaps more in that aspect that are closing, and I think it's just the constant consistency that, that Alabama has to be able to go to the playoff every single year and win a national title pretty much every every three years. I don't think that Ohio State has that consistency yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, that's, that's, I think, I think that's fair. You know, I mean, you're, obviously, you're winning, you're winning the Big Ten every single year. You're going to the college football playoff every year. There's obviously a sense of consistency there. But, like, when I watch Alabama play, I don't see – and I don't really see this – with Ohio State under under Ryan Day anymore, but I think that you saw it a little bit with Urban under Urban was where they they kind of just walked into things and said, oh well, we're better than everybody else, and this is how it's going to go. Like you don't see that with with Ryan Day. Like he's just very focused on the finer details. So I think that they are closing that gap, but you know it's it definitely still remains. Well, I mean the Buckeyes haven't lost a game within their own division since 2016. You know the 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 ugly uh, wounds that, you know, might still be open in the last few years, losing at Iowa, losing at Purdue. Um, Did those games ruin national championship hopes? Probably. Um, Obviously, Ohio State knows that it is possible to go to the college football playoff after losing an early season game because they did it. But by the same token, look at what it took for them to get there, they had to absolutely flat out embarrass Wisconsin in the national, or I should say in the big 10 championship game, just to sneak into the 14 playoff. Yeah. For now the playoff isn't expanding. Hasn't yet expanded. Maybe will we'll see um, ever since Texas and OU jumped to the sec. Now, now the, you know, um, once certain 12 team playoff suddenly mm-hmm. becomes maybe a little less certain, We'll see how that goes. But again, my point is, you know, the, the, the Buckeyes have to make sure that they don't overlook teams on their schedule because there's just not a lot of wiggle room, man. If you lose a game, you got a really hard time still making the playoff. Yeah, I mean, even if you look back at that 2014 game, if Wisconsin scores 21 points, if Ohio State only scores 40, like they don't jump TCU or, you know, or hold off Baylor in that. There was even some, you know, even some national pundits who were like, why, like, why is, is Ohio State jumping a team that just won its conference? You know, it was just, it was one of those things where they got really lucky and you can't ever really bank on that to happen. So, you know, the best way to go about it is to obviously win every game. And I think, again, that that's kind of what I'm talking about when it comes to, you know, just the focus under under Ryan Day. And he kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's just, you know, if there was a 12-team playoff, you would be able to kind of have wiggle room. You would kind of understand, like, Every game isn't as dire. Like you're, you're focusing on the end goal, but at least still for now, college football isn't about that. Like you have to go into every single game and win as convincingly as possible, and make sure that you have a seat at the table. The Buckeyes are really close to to flipping the uh, the page here totally to Minnesota. In fact, today inside the uh, extremely sweaty and sticky Woody Hayes Athletic Center on uh, in in this incredibly humid. Uh, month of August, uh, underneath the the main sign that says Ohio State Buckeyes, right in the middle of the of the Woody Hayes Center, um, it said "Beat Minnesota." I mean, there's there is definitely a a feeling of okay, training camp is 
you know, pretty much winding down now, especially with a, an opener on a Thursday night. Um, today was the last morning practice of training camp because the semester starts tomorrow. Uh, so the Buckeyes will now shift to, to practicing in the afternoon at roughly 4.30 each day. Um, we will not hear from anybody tomorrow. We will have a chance to visit with the wide receivers and with Brian Hartline, who on top of having maybe just the most ridiculously talented group in America, um, he's also turned himself into one hell of a recruiter. Um, pretty pretty excited to talk with that group on Wednesday. Um, that's, that's kind of the big takeaway right now. You, you know the starting quarterback is C.J. Stroud. Buckeyes are 10 days away from, uh, or at this point, you know, inside a week and a half uh, from, from starting the season. And, and you can really feel the engine starting to rev up. Ryan Day said today about the offensive line, he, he feels that they are really far along in the process of having Dewan Jones at right tackle and having Thayer Munford at left guard. Um, Thayer obviously was voted a captain. You know, if, if the Buckeyes trot out that offensive line to start week one, we kind of expect it now because we've seen it in practice, but I don't think anybody expected to see that at the start of camp. Um, there are a, a few of those kinds of subtle differences that I think Buckeye fans are really looking forward to seeing when they take the field. But uh, it, it's just nice to know that we are pretty much there, man. It is it is just about go time here. I do want to make a note, though, about that, you know, the offensive line, because that, I mean, those players are averaging something like 6'8", 330. It's stupid. <laughs> for an offense, like that, it's literally bigger than NFL offensive lines. So I am interested to see how, like, you know, they're – because there's a difference in, in playing tackle versus playing guard, just the, the height that you have to have your body. You know, Paris Johnson talked about that as well because he's a, another guy who is a tackle at heart. He's going to play tackle at the next level. So, you know, for him to learn that as well. But, you know, I said this when Chris Olave announced <laughs> that he was coming back. I said it didn't matter who – who the quarterback was just because of the weapons that he was going to have around him. And I kind of feel the same way about running back. You know, we talk about how we're not certain who's going to, you know, be in a feature role in the running backs room. There's five running backs, but at the same time, like literally if you're running behind Dewan Jones, you know, Paris Johnson, Thayer Mumford, Nicholas Petit Ferrer and, and Harry Miller, like it doesn't matter. I, I mean, I could be back behind that offensive line and I'm going to run for a hundred yards and touch that team. <laughs> the, uh, just for for uh, fans that maybe don't know the heights and weights of these guys off the top of their head, from left to right. So if if Nick Nick Petit Frere is your starting left tackle, he's listed at six five three fifteen. Thayer Munford moves to left guard. He's six six three twenty. Harry Miller is your projected starting center. Six four three fifteen. Sophomore Paris Johnson six six three fifteen. He'd be your right guard. And your right tackle would be 6'8", 360-pound Dewan Jones. Mm -hmm. um, and some I don't care who the starting quarterback or running back is, man. It's it's, right. it's got a chance to be a good year. Right. And once you throw on the helmets, the pads, the cleats, they're even bigger than that. So it's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Now, Minnesota has an offensive lineman that's pretty big, too. I think he's like – Yeah. I remember he went to IMG, I think. And he's yeah. something like 6'9", 350. And that's just wild. Yeah, I uh, I saw a video actually of him. I, his name escapes me at the moment, but I saw a video of him working out the other day. Um, he is one massive human being. <laughs> I believe it's Daniel. His last name starts with an F, and I I would butcher it if I tried to pronounce it. But yeah, yeah, he's he's a big kid. 
Well, the good news for the Buckeye defensive ends is that they've been going up against those kinds of guys in practice every day. And so uh, that's the advantage you have of, of playing um, against your own teammates for a while when they're some of the best in the country. It, it really is true, man. Iron sharpens iron. And uh, this team feels like they've they've got a really good chance to have a great season. So excited to follow the Buckeyes here in 2021. And, and certainly we'll watch that defensive back group uh, with a, a fine-tooth comb, man. They, they've got a lot to prove they feel they've got a good chance to do it. That'll wrap things up. David, I saw your uh, your comment about Jaqueline Johnson and Jordan Hancock. Hopefully we address that for you. I uh, I think we're looking forward to seeing those guys here in uh, in this season. Um, we'll uh, Again, we'll talk on Wednesday with Brian Hartline and the wide receivers, so we'll certainly have some content coming your way about those guys. And uh, by the time Wednesday night rolls around, it's officially going to be uh, game week as the Buckeyes get ready for Minnesota on Thursday, September 2nd. For Andrew Lind, I'm Brendan Gulick. We'll see you real soon. Buckeye Breakdown podcast available on YouTube as well as uh, and, uh, really anywhere you want to find your podcast, Spotify, the Apple Store, Google Play, uh, Pandora, anywhere you like to get your typical podcasts, uh, we are available. So hope you'll find us there soon. And uh, BuckeyesNow.com for all the latest. See you soon, Buckeyes in Minnesota, just 10 days away.